ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome into this Golf Channel podcast special. I'm your host, Will Gray, and the Players' Championship is right around the corner. Beginning Monday, May 8th, Golf Channel and NBC will dedicate nearly 90 hours of live programming to cover the PGA Tour's marquee event. In this podcast, former Players' Champs Justin Leonard and David Duvall join Hall of Famer Johnny Miller to preview next week's Players' Championship. Take a listen. You know, the players, uh, you know... It gets discussed year in, year out about whether it's a major championship or not a major championship, who determines if it should be or shouldn't be. Um, but I think uh, it's hard to argue. It's, it's certainly one of the best events of the year, strongest, deepest fields, um, and, and uh, maybe one of the most complete golf, played on one of the most complete golf courses there is uh, in professional golf. Uh, it tests basically everything. Uh, from a mechanical uh, and hitting standpoint, as well as uh, to a mental uh, approach. And, and that's the exciting thing about it. And, and with the tweaks and changes we're hearing about and the things they've done, um, adding to the viewing experience, adding to the playing experience, um, I think it's going to be quite uh, quite an exciting week to see, uh, especially see how that's received from all the players. Uh, I agree with David. I think uh, the Players' Championship – the golf course, it doesn't favor any certain type of player. It favors the player who's playing the best at the time, and but really more mentally than it is physically. Pete Dye likes to uh, to try and get in the player's head with uh, you know hazards and angles, and um, you know it's as much a uh, mental battle as it is physical. And doing it against one of the best. Uh, fields all year long um, and with the finish uh, that you've got there at 16, 17, and 18, um, you've got history there of, you know, some guys really rising to the occasion um, of, you know, pulling off some great play and you've got memories and, you know, we all know of guys who struggled, especially at 17. Um, that hole can be so pivotal. And, um, and so I'm uh, just looking forward to uh, getting down next week and, and you know, getting to, to know the, the changes at the golf course and being a part of the coverage. Yeah, this is Johnny. Uh, you know, I'm obviously been doing this a long time, and it's, it's really a great championship, no doubt about it. And the one, one thing that's great about it is, 
you know, with all the coverage we've been giving it on NBC all these years, uh, everybody knows the holes. They know all the excitement and all the, the problems that the pros have had in the past, and that makes a big difference for the viewer and, and even for the a lot of these young pros who used to watch it growing up. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very famous course in every hole just about uh, everyone knows, and that, that really makes a difference. It's a lot like, you know, when you play at Pebble Beach or you play, you know, let's say even at Augusta, they know every, the viewers know the holes, and that makes it really, really good. You know, Pete Dye, when he first built it, he said, golf's not a fair game, so why build a fair course? I'll tell you, that original player's course was one tough sucker, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, so he's he's mellowed a little bit, and the course has really matured nicely with a lot of the changes, and there's a ton of changes um, this year. So there's, you know, just a lot of them, uh, including the grasses have been changed, and expanded greens on 1, 4, 9, 11, and 13, and, uh, just uh, there's a lot of a lot of changes. So um, I, um, you know, uh, number 12 now is drivable par four with a new lake on the left, and so there's a lot of fun changes. So I'm looking forward to a great players championship, and uh, I agree with uh, what's been said thus far by um, David Duval and and, and Justin uh, that you know the guy is playing really well right now. Like last year. Um, I mean, how are you going to get better than Jason Day at the time? He'd won like seven tournaments out of like 17 events, and he opens up with 63-66 and basically won the tournament after Friday, so championship after Friday. So, yeah, it, it's not so much the long hitter. It's just who's best at the time has a really good chance to win. I'd like to address this, David, first, and Justin, since you guys are the, uh, the past players' championship winners in the group here. Uh, but uh, what's your opinion, if any, on the uh, going back to March? And would either one of you have had a preference on playing it in your prime in, in March or May? Well, Gary, I've been saying it on the, on the TV for a couple of years now. I think it's still back to March. Um, the golf course, I think it, uh, can be presented in a better manner. You can play it in an overseeded condition if you want to get firmer, faster. Uh, weather tends to be a little more cooperative. Uh, you know, it's always hit and miss in Florida. But you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's a smart thing. I don't believe the golf course has quite lived up to how they've wanted it since the move to May with the condition of it. It's been a bit of a struggle, and and, and so I, I for one thing can hope that it, it does go back. I think, uh, this is Justin, um, I think the tour was trying to get it away from uh, competing with the Masters. And I, I never felt as I was playing in it any competition between the two. Um, I also know they wanted a couple extra months to to make some changes to the golf course and the clubhouse and those things. But... I agree with David. I felt like the conditions were more um, predictable when it was overseeded. Uh, now, you know, you're still, there's there's weather that happens, but that's part of the game of golf. I know, you know, the weather this time of year is more consistent, but um, you're really at the mercy playing it in May, not overseeding. You're at the mercy of what kind of winter you have. Um, remember a couple years ago, we weren't allowed on four of the greens during practice. 
um, because they were in such, you know, disrepair, not because of any, but because of weather. And, you know, maybe a, a you know, a mistake in chemical application. Um, but I agree with David. I didn't feel like it competed with the Masters at all. I felt like um, it was great for international players um, to get over and kind of acclimate. And um, uh, I just felt like the golf course and the conditions were um, were more predictable and more um, consistent year in, year out. Uh, yeah, following up on Gary's question there a little bit, do you uh... – I mean, did you think that the tournament, it's hurt the Florida swing, I guess is the best way to put it, not having it there. And now that Doral has been lost, how much of a boost could it be to the Florida swing and particularly the Bay Hill event that might languish a bit following the death of Arnold Palmer? I think it's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I always liked that uh, players was the end of the Florida swing. It sort of was the cherry on top. And I think it's a great fight. You know, the nice thing about March is that you get those north winds occasionally, and all of a sudden 17 and 18 becomes just monster holes. I mean, 17 has been just a little flip wedge for these guys. Maybe some guys hit a little nine. But, I mean, when that north wind comes popping them through there, and 18, what a finish that is. And, uh, you know, I think that the weather um, becomes, makes it even a tougher challenge. You know, you don't go shooting 63, 66 when the north wind's blowing like Jason Day did. So I just think that it 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 stands, it can stand alone. There's no doubt the player's gotten big enough that it could play on any date if it, you know, the course would present itself. But, but, uh, but I like it. I like it in March. I felt like the, you know, the Florida swing even this year got a little fragmented with the guys going to Mexico. And, um, you know, it, I mean, years ago when I got on tour, um, you know, quite a few guys didn't really play much on the West Coast. And all of a sudden in Florida, you had everybody playing because uh, a lot of guys live down there. Again, it's easy for the, the international players that, that maybe play both tours. And so, um, I think that's just another reason beyond the conditions that we talked about. Um, maybe kind of bringing that Florida swing back together a little bit. And like Johnny said, having it there at the tail end, um, you know, and then, you know, after that it was, you know, it's on to, you know, guys getting ready for Augusta. But the Florida swing is, is all keyed on getting ready to play the Players' Championship. You're gonna have to. They're gonna have to look at the tweaking it too. With uh, the, the big problem this year was to throw Mexico right in the middle of it all as well. Um, so I play to Mexico City. So if you're leaving the West Coast, stop there, get over to Florida. Certainly, players are gonna load up and play many of the events. But you're gonna have to pick one or two that, that you're not gonna play in leading into the players. But I thought it was, again, I thought it was perfectly positioned where it was. The, the golf course tended to be a lot, lot better than it has been over the last number of years. And uh, and I like the, the challenge of that time of year when the winds can change uh, dramatically from one day to the next. Hey, guys. Uh, question hey for all of you. Uh, I'd love your thoughts on the uh, statement from USGA and RNA on uh, green reading books, both on uh, why you think they're, uh, looking at those, and then just your your view of 
players consulting these more intricate uh, drawings and diagrams and uh, bits of information to uh, to uh, help prepare them for a putt. Go ahead, guys. I played. I played last week at the Texas Open, and um, uh, Steve Holker was caddying for me, and he had one of those books um, with you know the arrows and everything, and and I looked at it twice, and I couldn't. It, it was too much information for me. Um, I do. I think the reason they're looking at it, and I'll tell you that I had a putt on Friday. <laughs> on number nine to make the cut about a 25-footer. And Steve told me what the book said, and it did exactly what it said. Um, that did you make said, it? I made the putt. Absolutely I made it. Of course I did. Um, <laughs> I made the cut and played on the weekend. But that being said, I think, to me, it's, it's a slow play issue. And um, it, it just it, it takes too much time. It takes – feel away from the game. I know we're in a, you know, a time where technology plays such a role in all sports and it's certainly playing a role in golf with, um, you know, track man and everything. But I think that uh, there's also, a, you know, there needs to be a feel and a um, guys using instincts and using past experience, um, you know, you know, charting putts and things like that from years past. Practice rounds are important. Um, I'm not a fan of these greens books. I think they slow down play, and they take away um, a player's natural ability and need to to feel and see what's going on on the golf course. I don't, Jeff. I don't. I don't believe they should be using them. Um, and, and I understand the pace of play aspect of it, but um, as long as you know, pace of play isn't as big a deal to me in that. I think it removes the art of it. You know, everything has become so scientific. It does remove a bit of the art of putting and and, and takes away some feel. And and it certainly, obviously, you see players consulting them for uh, extended lengths of time, and and that that's a problem, you know. I, but I don't want to focus it on the pace of play issue because, you know, I think there's a distinction between pace of play and recreational golf and then competitive golf at the highest level. Certainly, we want the game to move along properly, um, but you can't expect the guys who are competing to win the players next week, the uh, U.S. Open in June, to, to, to race around the golf course in two hours and 45 minutes like everybody likes to do when they're home playing in recreational golf. It's, it's an entirely different entity, so let's try to compare the two. I think is a, it, 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 you're missing the mark there. But I don't, in general, I don't think they should be part of the game. Uh, I, I think that... Uh, you have enough information. It is about being out there and having a look and doing your scouting um, and figuring things out that way. Yes, this is Johnny. Hey, Jeff. Um, I always like Hi, Johnny. That. I was like the second fastest player on tour behind Lanny, and so you know, I just went with my first instinct and my homework that I'd done in the practice rounds. And you know, the guys. What the problem with with even the line on the ball, uh, putting it, the line on there, and you know, uh, the topographical maps and this stuff. I, I just think anything that – that uh, the thing is, it's not just the pros. All these young players are copying everything the pros do. So it's slowing all the way down into the junior ranks. So 
you know, if they took the, you couldn't put the line on the ball and you don't have these books that uh, basically almost hit the ball for you, I just think it's taken away. And in fact, the older players, the one advantage they had was that they had experience on these courses. And now with these super books that they have um, that you can buy, it's just, I, I just think that, you know, you should have to learn these courses. It shouldn't be that, you know, you just walk out there and shoot 63 the first time around, uh, uh, you know, with all this uh, help that you get. So I'm I, I'm against anything that slows things down. I, I just think that all these guys, these young kids, they all copy exactly what the pros do. And, you know, they're, they're taking more time than they need to, I believe. And that's, I'm a fast player, so I always was super fast. Hi, guys. Uh, I don't – this is for everybody. I don't know if uh, Sawgrass Course needs another water hazard, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the, the new number 12 hole and how significant you think the changes might be and maybe what you thought of the, the previous 12th hole, which, you know, kind of was, uh, compared to the spectacular finishing holes, it was not really talked about much. Just talk about the, the, the new 12th hole and if you think it's going to play a significant part in the tournament. Well, I've, I've uh, had some homework come my way, an overview of all the changes. And, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely – uh, going to make it a lot more exciting. It'll be interesting to see how many guys actually go for uh, the green, uh, it, depending on the wind, I guess, if there is any wind. Uh, but uh, they eliminated the mound left of the fairway and converted it into a fairway bunker. Uh, there was a big, huge high mound there that could block you off either left and eliminated the fairway bunker on the right side and converted that to rough and reshaped the green complex. Added the pond left, of course, that's in play and with, a, I think, a a closely mown bank from the green down into the pond. And, uh, you know, there's quite a few changes, but it's, it'd be tempting because it looks like if you hit it just right of the green, it, it doesn't look like there's that much just right of the green. So, uh, you know, there's a few pots over there, but it looks like uh, it wouldn't be that big of a deal hitting a bunker shot out of them. And so um, I think it'll be fun. You know, it's, it was the easiest hole historically, the 12th and there's a good chance that it might even be easier. I don't know, depending on the wind. So, but it'll be fun to fun for the viewer to see the guys try to go for it and occasionally go in the water. Yeah, I think that in the past it's been almost a way for, to get from a, a really good 11th hole, par five, to the the final stretch of 13 all the way in. Uh, more of a kind of thrown in there. Um, more likely, I would imagine that you'll see the majority of players having to go up there because that's basically what the game has become. Uh, it's about power and distance, and they're they're super aggressive now. And and, and, and from what I understand, I haven't actually been on the hole. Uh, it, it's pretty it's, – it's a decently difficult layup if you choose not to go. And then obviously on the left side of the green, the runoff and stuff is fairly severe. So I think that it's going to be a lot of, a lot of shots hitting, hit on the – First couple of days of practice for guys trying to figure out what they want to do, um, but it definitely needed something, and, and sounds like it's on the right track. The layout uh, a lot, a lot narrower, right? I haven't seen the hole. I plan to get in uh, Monday night and spend a lot of time Tuesday on the golf course just to see the changes and mm-hmm. you know try and figure out how guys are playing it. Um, you know, I, I agree. It was kind of the hole in the middle of the back nine that you, you know, it, just there wasn't much to it. You put it in the fairway and, you know, you have a wedge. And um, 
this now having some options, um, I think is is very good. I think if it uh, uh, if it stays firm, I know they've had very little rain. But if it stays firm, it might turn into a drivable par five um, with the, the water short and left and um, and everything. So it'll be interesting to see. But you know, David mentioned this is the way the game has gone. Um, guys hit more drivers, and there's there's a little less strategy involved, uh, especially off the tee, uh, with you know kind of this generation of players. And so um, you'll see you'll see a few guys lay up, but I think you'll. David mentioned you know a lot of guys. That's the way the game is. They'll try and put it up there in front of the green, and they figure the closer they can get it to the hole off the tee, the better chance they have of making birdies. So um, I think it'll it'll add a lot of excitement to an already. Uh, you know, excitement and drama filled back nine. Hi, gentlemen. Good afternoon. So far, I've heard a lot of talk about younger players. I've heard some comments of a lot of information being available and also technology. My question is, younger players are really posting some great scores. Do you think that's because their increased confidence level and their lack of fear? Or do you think being a more conservative, older player with more experience is going to allow them to really continue to succeed long-term. Go ahead, you guys. You know, the game's, you know, changed, I think, as much as anything with the advent of golf being on television basically 24-7 with the golf channel and the coverage. The young guys growing up, uh, they have – grown up and they have a bit of familiarity with all the players that come out and see. There's not so much of an intimidation factor when they get on tour. You throw in uh, the technology of teaching, you throw in uh, these young guys who um, have grown up uh, only with this new equipment, and they're, you're seeing guys build golf games that maximizes the, the, the use of that equipment. and. And I think, you know, when you're walking on the range as a young person, you know, and there's Phil Mickelson or there was Tiger Woods or Justin Leonard standing there, these guys, you know, they're not intimidated because they feel like they know them. There's so many interviews, uh, so many, uh, so much coverage uh, that, that that has led to that confidence. And, and they're seeing the success, and that builds on it from, from one young player to another. Um, again, this golf course, you know, doesn't favor one player in particular. Um uh, Long hitters, short hitters, anybody can get around the golf course. This is about precision and about strategy and, and about basically controlling the, every mental aspect, uh, getting your way around, because you're going to face a lot of adversity on that golf course, and you can't, you can't bully uh, TPC Sawgrass. You have to kind of massage it and, and, and finesse your way around. Yeah, and going back to the, the young players, um, you know, the level of instruction, um, the information that's available, um, you know, the, the hiring of, of teams of, you know, short game, uh, full swing, soft tissue therapists. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And I think that, um, you know, the guys that come out uh, out of college are, are just more prepared to um, – to go out and play well, there's more belief, um, and I think David's right. There's, they already feel like they know some of the golf courses. They feel like they know some of the players, and so, um, you know, they walk out ready to win. And I think that's also a tribute to 
um, some of the college coaches in preparing um, these young players to uh, to succeed and take more of a you know a level of you know these colleges most of them have their own golf courses practice facilities indoor training facilities um, th- these young guys are just better prepared to to you know travel 25 weeks a year and uh, and compete and you know it also helps that a guy like Ricky Fowler plays so well at an early age Jordan Spieth plays so well at an early age I mean you know these guys get out on tour and they're like well I beat you know, Jordan, when I was a junior, only beat him once, but I beat him. And they're seeing the success that younger players are having, and it's just breeding more success and confidence and saying, you know what, I, I know Jordan. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't do – I mean, he does so many things well, but these players who are his peers in junior golf and college golf are coming out saying, you know what, I can compete with this guy, and therefore they're having success as well. Yeah, this is Johnny, um, Jim. Uh, you know, obviously, young guys have got young nerves, and, and you know, they are—they don't seem to be, uh, you know, enamored by the great players now. It seems like they're—they come out like a, you know, a Ben Crenshaw did and uh, Jerry Pate did, and, uh, guys like that. That you know, they're just ready to beat the best players. You know, Spieth was that way so much that he, when he came out, it was like. Move over, boys. I'm here, you know, Lanny Watkins kind of thing. But, uh, but there's the old guys can still number one in the world. It's not exactly a spring chicken, Dustin Johnson. And then you got Henrik Stenson, who played, you know, British Open champion, Justin Rose, Olympic champion. And I mean, they almost won the Masters. And Adam Scott, you got guys in the top 10 that, you know, aren't the young ones, too. So Zach Johnson was a real factor this year. He's not doing as well. But, you know, there's still room for. Uh, guys with experience, KG, and especially the guys that have some distance. So, you know, it's, the game's pretty balanced. But the young guys don't seem to be a, afraid of uh, coming out fast and doing their thing. What do you expect from Sergio going forward in terms of not only his attitude, but also maybe fans' attitude toward him? I mean, I was out there for that playoff in 15. It was pretty brutal the way he got treated. Well, I mean, Sergio definitely broke the eggs, sort of opened it up. So, you know, he could he could be on a bit of a tear. The way he drives the ball, his driving is incredible. With that power fade, um, he just drove it so great. And his putting has become a strength. So now that he's won the Masters, he could have a good run uh, in the big big events. He's already got the one. So uh, I think a lot of people pulled for him at the Masters, I thought. Uh, you know, people that uh, – TV people, I, I – you know, the guys that have talked to me, yeah, it was great, Sergio won, wasn't it? You know, just I didn't hear one guy say uh, nothing negative. I haven't heard one thing negative about him winning. So, got up. And he's in love, too. So, those, those things all help uh, make your game come alive. So, you know, uh, good for him. Yeah, I think Josh, I like, yeah, coming through like he did and, and how he played, um, you know, basically – after he pulled it off the 13th tee, and that take drop made an incredible save. He didn't miss it at golf shot coming. Certainly uh, had some looks at it that he could have closed it out before, uh, just in regulation and not having to go into a playoff. But you, you never quite know how it's going to help. But I think that it's going to be such a relief for him moving forward that uh, his his demeanor will be that much relaxed. And I think you're seeing him more from, 
maybe not as well liked or, or respected amongst some fans to become be kind of becoming beloved in a way because he has endured so many close calls and had come so uh, had so many heartbreaks that finally to do it in, in such a great fa- fashion, uh, it's only going to serve him well moving forward. Well, and this is Justin, I also think that he's found a nice balance off the golf course. Um, as Johnny mentioned, uh, you know, he's engaged to be married. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, when he admitted a couple years ago, and nobody believed him, but when he said, I just, I don't think I've got what it takes, I think I'm playing for second or third, um, I think that took a little bit of burden off of him. I don't think he believed that for one minute. Um, but to say that and just get it out there and that, that's what he was feeling because he's had so many close calls. I think he won a few people over with that. And then to see the, um, you know, the way he and Justin Rose, um, really played in the spirit of, you know, Bobby Jones and being such gentlemen towards each other. And, and, you know, I mean, you saw him time and again, giving a thumbs up or, saying good shot, um, those kind of things. I think that also, um, you know, really endeared him with not only the people there that were on the grounds, but the viewers. And um, I think this is a big burden off his back. And I think a big reason for that is just um, his his life away from the golf course um, and how he's found a, uh, you know, fiancé and, and family um, that really – uh, embrace him for who he is and and support him and uh, I think that's a big thing for him coming from Spain um, you know spending a lot of time here in America I think that's a big advantage for him and a reason why he broke through and happy to see it because nobody I don't think any of us wish that that burden on anyone to carry around um, you know to have that great a career and not have won a major um, so he had a lot of people pulling for him you know, being his contemporary, more or less, Dave and Justin, either of you could answer this or both. Um, do you feel like he's a little misunderstood that maybe his passion, you know, is mis- misunderstood for petulance sometimes? I, I think, you know, there was – there's definitely a passion there. And, yes, I think it was probably a bit confused and, and maybe it came out in the wrong way. Um, you know, a couple instances with um, Patrick Harrington, they had a couple close calls, um, you know, and, and there is, there's a, a passion there, um, and, and especially among the Spaniards, um, that, uh, uh, that can sometimes overshadow a player's game. And I think in Sergio at times it has. Um, talk about another young Spaniard, John Rom and how well he's played, and he uses that pass, that passion to his advantage. Um, uh, but he, he plays with that passion and that fire, and if things don't go his way, he's not going to hide it. And um, I think Sergio's probably matured a bit more um, to the point where it doesn't bother him quite as much, um, but certainly he has to use that passion to his advantage because at times when he's playing well, it's a huge asset. Hey, guys, just uh, after hearing you talk about the course changes and kind of what we know, it sounds like driver will be able to be used a little bit more there. And I'm just wondering if um, 
if you, if you sense over the years that that players have not been able to use driver as much at TPC Sawgrass, and if that has sort of a dulling effect on the uh, the energy and kind of the the attack mode of some of the players, and and if getting driver back on uh, in their hands on some holes will will kind of uh, bring back a little bit more aggression on the golf course and maybe a little bit more of an advantage to, to some of the longer hitters. Um, I'll take that real quick. You know, if you look at the golf course, I don't, unless you're crazy long, I mean, you really can't hit a driver a lot of the holes. I mean, number one, probably not a driver hole no matter who you are. Uh, two, you run out of fairway on the right unless you can turn it right to left. And four, you're not going to probably hit driver there. Um, you might be able to hit driver at five, but you got to be careful of the water down the left. You're not going to hit one. Six, seven, you go ahead with the driver. Uh-huh. Nine, you got to be careful running into the into the water in front um, there of your tee shot. So I mean, in ten, you can't hit a driver. I mean, it, it, it really the course you can hit it on eleven, but you know it's it's not. I don't see the guys hitting that many more drivers. Maybe I'm wrong. Why don't you guys take it from there? I, I see the holes being. Pretty much what they are, you know. Guys will hit more drivers on 18 than maybe they used to, but uh, uh, you're not going to hit a driver that many times. The golf courses, uh, and this is they're hitting it now. You know, you're not seeing them drive it a ton anywhere. Um, certainly, we all know that the tee shot is the most important shot in golf. It sets up everything, and but and, and certainly around the stadium course, there you have to get it in position off the tee and you know you can see them obviously like john is saying you'll see them driving at all 11 uh probably it sounds like probably a lot are going to drive it at 12 uh you know fair amount at 14 15 16 maybe if they try to go over the corner maybe 18 um but you've got to set yourself up around that golf course and, and long hitters always have always had an advantage because you know where they may the average hitter may drive it, they can take a, a three-wood and get to the same position. And obviously, accuracy is that much greater with the, the shorter the club you're using. So distance will always be a factor, always be an advantage. But, uh, again, you have to move your way around the golf course as much as any golf course you face all year. This is certainly a, a chess match and a position game getting around the golf course. Yeah, and to build on those two points, it's there's such a penalty uh, for getting offline um, at Sawgrass, um, and it's you know it's easier to hit a fairway with a three wood, and these guys are hitting three woods off the tee, 290 and 300 yards anyways, and so there's not a real place for a lot of drivers out there, um, and the penalty for for missing a driver, um, you know you get a ball offline there, all of a sudden you bring six or seven into play, and so. Sawgrass has always been about, um, you know, putting the ball in play, trying to play the angles and working it into whole locations. Um, you can't really overpower it. As David said earlier, you have to massage it. If you have to finesse Sawgrass. And you have to, you know, be careful about when you pick your spots. Um, and I think that's what's so much fun um, and will be so much fun to be a part of the coverage and just, um, you know, as a fan of the game. Um, because you remember those, you know, those moments when it worked out and you remember those moments when it hasn't. Um, but it, it, it is definitely more of a mental kind of strategic type golf course than it is 
I'm going to hit it down there as far as I can because there's a lot of times when you're not going to have a play. I mean, the course only played 7,215 yards last year. So, I mean, for, for these guys, 7,215, that's a pretty short course. That's, you know, that's what we would play in, um, in our era, which, you know, you lost probably 30 yards off the tee and, and a, a club or so on the iron. So, I mean, this, for these guys, it's not about hitting it that long, I don't think. Maybe the long part will take advantage of a few holes, but it's a, that's a short golf course. This is for everyone. Is there a hole or two holes on the golf course that always gave you fits every time you played? I don't think any of us every time, but uh, there were holes that we didn't do better than others, that's for sure. I didn't necessarily love 17. I mean, I used to play a lot tougher uh, when it was played in, in, in March. I remember a lot of north winds, but Seems like I haven't seen that too often, but uh, that one was always a tough one for me. And uh, I'm trying to think of what else. 18 was not too bad, but 17 was always the one you thought about when you were pretty much anywhere on the golf course, especially on the back nine. You're thinking, hey, am I going to be able to handle 17? I always felt like the eighth was incredibly difficult. Par three. Um, it just it just seems like it's. Difficult to get it on the green, much less get it close to the hole. And really, you got to be very, very careful over on 14. Um, get it a little bit too far left in the fairway, you're, you're blocked out a bit by the trees. Miss it right in the mounding in the rough, you're in a big trouble over there. So those two holes were always kind of put you know, uh, your heightened your senses a little bit, made, made you a little bit more aware of what was going on. I I always struggled with the ninth hole. Um, I, I was never long enough to go for the green, nor would I anyways. But I always found that a very difficult layup, um, just the angle of everything. And then for me, I never – it was always hard to get that third shot close. There's a little a little tight bunker that sits in front of the green that kind of guards your, your vision, and it's kind of open behind it. And um, I always struggle with that hole. And then 16, um, I always thought the second shot there was hard. Typically, you've got a little bit of a right. Uh, the ball's a little bit above your feet, um, and then you're trying to to work a shot left to right with the tree there. And that tree was just in the perfect place to bat my golf ball down. Um, and so I was never comfortable with that second shot on 16. Now I gotta mention I gotta mention 14. That hole, you know, a lot of times, you know, historically has been number one or number two hardest holes. And that tee shot, man, you hit it over to the right in those mounds. Then you got like this sliver of layup, or you there you got to just pitch it out sideways or whatever. But you can make a big number on 14. 14 is really a tough hole. I mean, super tough. What hole would you pick as the easiest? 12. You know. <laughs> Maybe not anymore. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it's any harder now. You can just lay it up and hit another wedge if you want, but. Uh, It'll be tempting. It'll it'll tempt you into trying probably to go for it, and that you get a little unlucky and go in the face of the pots over on the right there, whole high. That could be a problem, but um, I I don't think it's going to play really any hardly any tougher at all. In fact, it might even play easier. I always enjoyed the tee shot at thirteen, um, the par three. I like trying to get it in. You know, there's three pretty well defined sections of that green. And I always enjoyed either trying to work it off the slope 
into those left pins or the back pin, trying to just get it to creep over that hill. So it certainly wasn't an easy hole, but it was the whole, you know, it was a shot that I really enjoyed, um, you know, from a strategic and standpoint. Okay. Yeah, I'd say I'd throw in the fourth. I always thought that was kind of, you know, throw a three-wood out in the fairway and just have a wedge in your hand. And just with a little bit of precision on the shots where they place the, the hole, uh, you usually have a pretty good look at a birdie. And number two is the second easiest hole historically, the par five. And at 532 yards, uh, that's just a par four for these guys. You, the drive's a little bit, you probably want to hit a three-wood so you can draw it around the corner, but the green's tough, but it's still... You know, that's that's the other super easy historical hole. Uh, that That is really an easy hole, 12 and, and 2. I wonder if each of you guys could maybe give me uh, your most memorable, memorable moment at the 17th hole, whether it was something you experienced as a player or just watching any of the crazy things that have happened there, as a, you know, on TV over the years. Uh, well, I mean, I got to. Just recently, the way Ricky Fowler played 17 when he won a couple of years ago was like off the charts, and uh, you know that, that was, I'll probably always remember that. When I re- what I really remember most about it, how great the bass fishing was there, but but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know Ricky, what Ricky did was pretty amazing, and when the you know just winning that playoff too, but um, that that was that was fun to watch. I think the way Ricky played 17 a couple of years ago was just may not ever see it again. And, and then you follow it up with the five drives he hit on the 18th hole for the week with driver. Um, you just couldn't you couldn't drive the golf ball better um, and long. Oh, I know, but they were like 335 all of them. You could nearly throw, throw a blanket over them. Maybe a, a California King bed sheet. You know, they were it was unbelievable. Um, you know. For me, I, I, personally, I guess I would say how I played when I won the 17th. Uh, just the golf course was nearely impossible. You could, could barely keep it on the greens. Uh, and, and thinking back to how Nick Price was so decisive when he won on the 17th, when he got his yards, pulled his club, and hit the shot, uh, didn't, get, didn't give himself the time to have any doubt creep in, realizing, you know, this is just a wedge shot. So let's go ahead and execute and do what we've always done. And so there's a few things. I mean, there's so many different things going through there. My personal favorite memories are, are from the year I won. And I remember walking up the 16th, uh, and Len Matisse was having a bit of trouble on 17. And, uh, and then when I got around, uh, you know, I, I just I had a I had a perfect yardage for a nine iron. And I knew with the adrenaline and even it was it was a good yardage. And so there's no better feeling to step up on a hole like that um, when you're trying to win a golf tournament. And you just – you don't even have to think about it. You have to take anything off. It's just a perfect number. And I hit it, you know, just into the slope. And, um, you know, just the, the sense of relief that you feel. Even on a Tuesday, you feel a sense of relief when you hit it on that green. But, you know, Sunday coming down the stretch and you hit a good shot in there, um, just a great deal of satisfaction, and um, you know that's why it's so so incredible what Ricky did um, in winning and and the way he played that hole. Um, you know, it's, it's almost unfathomable. Yeah, especially after he was voted the most overrated golfer that week by his peers. 
that was his 15th club right there. Just a little motivation. I want to say that we're really looking forward to seeing the, the course is magnificent. Uh, I live right off of 14, Johnny, and the day after last year's players, like a John Deere convention out here, spared no expense, made the new 12 toll. They've made a lot of great changes. The practice area, maybe David and Justin can comment on that, how great that is. But selfishly, I'm, I'm so happy that NBC is going to do the Open Championship this year, Johnny, at Royal Birthday, I think you had some good memories um, there. I yeah. want to ask you what it was like and how great a player that Seve was in his prime. That was the first Open Championship I watched on television, and I wanted to be him from that day forward. But uh, with Sergio winning the Masters on Seve's 60th birthday, which was kind of karma to me personally, um, can you tell us about how much you're looking forward to doing the Open? And, of course, David and, and Justin, I assume, will be uh, participating. Yeah, I mean, I sort of ushered Seve in. Uh, you know, he was 19. Nobody had heard about him before. And, you know, I played with him on Saturday and Sunday. He had the lead on Thursday after 69 and another 69 on Friday and had the lead. And then, again, he, on Saturday he had the lead after that round and played with him on Saturday and Sunday and I didn't really know what to expect out of him, but he started hitting it pretty wild on Sunday. But it was weird because I think because people remembered Seve uh, playing against me that first time. Every time I played in a tournament overseas or even a major, it seemed like every time they'd pair me on Thursday and Friday with Seve. So I got to Well, you spoke a little Spanish, right, Johnny? A little yeah, bit. Just, just enough, but I didn't speak any, any Spanish to him for a day and a half to like hold it for Eagle, and I think it was the, like the 13th hole, and I had a five. <laughs> then I got real friendly after that. <laughs> but, uh, That's well, beautiful. Uh, these guys, you know, Justin has played against them, and so has David. I mean, it, he transcends all three of us, which is which is it's saying a lot, you know. He, he was an amazing player. He never did quite get his driver under control, but for what, with that driver, it's amazing what he was able to uh, accomplished with uh, a driver that uh, was never really his best friend. I don't know what you guys think, but, uh, <laughs> but he, he had everything else, i tell you that. Yeah. I mean, that driver was far from his best friend. I remember playing, this is back in the the late 90s, um, before they really changed the golf course at, at Augusta National. And I got paired mm -hmm. with him Friday, and then we played again on Saturday. And this was when, from the left edge of the pine straw, it was all completely fairway to the right edge of the pine straw. So in, so we played 36 holes together. Uh, in the 28 holes that weren't part threes, he hit four fairways. <laughs> Which were twice as wide as normal. And he, shot, he shot even par. And he shot, well, yeah, probably a couple under. <laughs> no, he shot even par. But it was, it was the darnest thing I've ever seen. Um, you know, hitting it all over that golf course. And I don't know what kind of bounce he had on his irons, but it was perfect for pine straw. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was amazing watching him, you know, get it up around the green, get the ball up and down. Um, just, you know, it just kind of epitomized Seve in my mind. That's outstanding. Yeah. We're, uh, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, uh, all three of you. And, uh, thanks for the good, uh, Good uh, memories. Absolutely. Thank You're you. Welcome. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.